Well, good morning, and again, welcome to the end of the UPIC sermon series. Um, this morning, as we uh, dismiss our little ones, as we get ready for this conclusion to our series, I'd like to invite you, first of all, keep those uh, sermon suggestions coming that you've been sending me. A couple of your questions for this year's series came quite early in the year. And so, you know, if you happen to come across a Bible verse, if you happen to uh, think of a question that you might have about theology, uh, about your faith, uh, you think in your personal study, hey, this might make a great sermon, this might be a good sermon topic series, feel free uh, to send those ideas to me. That's what this sermon series is all about, but I'm always interested in receiving those. If your verse or Bible question doesn't end up in, Lord willing, uh, you pick 2020, next January, it may end up with its own series wrapped around it. This actually happened last year with the Spiritual Warfare series. It's Spiritual Warfare, we called it, if you were with us for that. This morning, though, you've asked this question, what if I'm not ready when Jesus returns? We've got a pair of scriptures we're going to delve into today, uh, mainly Luke 21, 33 to 36. We're going to also briefly touch on 1 John 2, 28, 29. These were both shared earlier. Let's proceed with this uh, thrilling conclusion to you pick 2019, shall we? First, though, before we do, let's talk about Christmas. Oh, no, you're thinking, not that again. We just, we just went through that. We just went through that, and my uh, bank book is saying, I don't want to talk about Christmas, right? No. We're all in Christmas recovery mode, though. But, but here's the thing. You only have 11 shopping months left. So just throwing that out there. Not going to share so much about Christmas Day itself as much as I'd like to talk a minute about this yearly leading up to the traditions of the holiday. It's quite an interesting time. Uh, for me, every year around the uh, Rude household, I try to find a window of opportunity to get a few things wrapped and ready for Mrs. Rude. You might think, you know, that doesn't sound like too difficult of a task, preacher. But you have to remember that we homeschool. H-O-M-E, school. As in, the kids and wife are at home. They don't ever leave. <laughs> we have co-op day, and on co-op day, the girls are able to spend uh, the mornings kind of in a community environment with a few other families. Uh, the other members of my household, though, the rest of the time are typically where? At home. Now, there are some other exceptions. I don't want to make it sound like nobody ever leaves Crystal and Newcomb, but there aren't a lot of opportunities for a homeschooling dad to get presents wrapped for a homeschooling mom. Besides the fact that, and I've said this for, I don't know, 15, 17 years or something, my wife and I are practically Siamese twins. Anyway, I can't hide a thing from her, which is probably a good thing. But one idea I had was to... Uh, you know, take some stuff into the bathroom with me, uh, some boxes and some scotch tape and wrapping paper. But the last thing you want to hear when you're passing by the Parsonage bathroom is this whoop, cut, 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 folding paper sounds and whatnot. Same thing with the bedroom. I mean, the family's going to find out what's going on that way, right? Dad's wrapping presents for mom again. Doesn't think we're smart enough to figure it out because everybody takes scissors into the toilet, you know? Typically each December, right, in uh, the St. Nick of time, we'll say, I get the chance to wrap the presents I have in secret, 
Becky steps out to take care of communion prep. <laughs> There's a reason why I encourage her to sign up for that every December. <laughs> Karen knows why now. But don't, don't, don't tell her what I told you folks. It'd be our little secret, just between you and me and folks on Facebook. And I guess she's sitting right down there. So I'd planned on her being in the nursery today. Oops. <laughs> Might figure something out different for 2020. It isn't a lot of time to ready these uh, little cups that we just passed around for the table, but it's all the time I need to get that whoop, cut, 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 folding paper sounds, etc., and presents done under the tree. Bam! Get three or four uh, occasions in December every year. But when she's gone, when she steps out the door, I don't mess around. I don't dally. I get on with that. By the way, that whoop sound is wrapping paper. You might have been wondering what I was doing there. I get on with all that so I can get this job of playing Santa Claus for the homeschool misses done. I try to move along as quickly as I can because I want to make sure I'm ready. Nothing more embarrassing than to be standing there uh, with, you know, paper spread out and the Tarvis drinkware, the jewelry box, or the laptop computer accessory. Just thinking of some things I know my wife likes in case you want to buy her something next year. Let me know and I'll not worry about it. But I don't want to mess up that chance, that window of opportunity. I look at that one shot. I don't want to blow it before Becky Rude returns. You were supposed to be back there today. She knew I was going to talk about her. But you know, those of us who are waiting on Jesus Christ to return, we don't want to squander the opportunity we have now either. Luke chapter 21, verses 33 to 36. This is some serious language, and we've made, maybe we've been talking about it for a few years, so we think, ah, you know, we, we've become sort of used to hearing it, but there's weight to this. Let's read it again. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is Jesus speaking. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Jesus says, for it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So not our earthly spouse, but the bridegroom himself telling us this before he returns to be ready, to be ready, to be prepared for his return. If we're not ready we have no excuse. But what could make us, Christ followers, not ready for the return of Christ? Let's, let's dig in deeper to his words today. In our text, Jesus is just finishing up a parable of the fig trees, explaining to his followers how they're going to know the Son of Man or he himself will be on the way. And the Lord knows that we're likely to, be, to get sidetracked in this place before we see him again, right? But this is why he reminds us, verse 33. You know, if you have to write this with magic marker on your arm or something, heaven and earth will pass away. It will pass away. It will disappear. It will vanish. But my words will not pass away. John Lennon once said, Christianity will go, it will shrink and vanish. He had it backwards. Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus says my words will not pass away. We get caught up pursuing the stuff of earth, don't we? 
The stuff down here where we live. We also get caught up on pursuing uh, the things above earth, the stuff above us. Down here on earth, we spend uh, billions and billions of dollars on temporary, the lifestyles and the philosophies, the material possessions, and ultimately a false sense of security we have. We get caught up in what's down here. We also get caught up in the heavens above earth. We spend uh, billions and billions into navigating those billions and billions of stars and planets and uh, putting people on Mars and shooting out rockets and rovers and space stations and vehicles that, uh, you know, maybe the guy that put a vehicle in space to uh, take it around the planet and play David Bowie. We spend a lot of time and money on this. We can't bring a lot of this stuff back that we put up there. And so we've come up with a great name for it, space junk. And while the universe God has made is big and beautiful and ready for exploration, where do we draw the line? How does uh, sending an earthling uh, halfway to Uranus help send the gospel halfway across the globe? I'm not knocking NASA. I actually had an uncle who worked for NASA, and I'm not necessarily knocking uh, President Trump's space force. But Jesus is serious when he says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What does this mean for us? What's the significance of this verse for our lives? How do we direct our futures on the words of our Lord? Because we can spend a lot of time on that, which takes away opportunities for serving him, can't we? Just ask anyone who owns a recliner, a TV set, and a Netflix account. We know just how easy it is to waste time. We know. In this day and age, too many amusements which are passing away, compete for our attention with the Great Commission. Amen? Think about this. How many people do you know who own a smartphone or tablet? How many of them probably shouldn't have them? Are these tools a help or a hindrance to the kingdom? Are we building proverbial walls of isolation or bridges of communication? Do we use what God gives us to invest in where he's taking us? Because one day, each one of us will have to give an account for the way we took care of or didn't take care of that, which he's made us stewards. We can't get sidetracked by heaven and earth the things that will pass away. Instead, we have to be ready to go home. Have to be ready to go home. This world's not our home, we're just passing through. There's a good reason why Jesus says, verse 34, why he says again to his followers, this is who he's speaking to, watch yourselves. You know, Jesus more than anyone knows what giving up heaven for earth is like. Imagine that from his perspective. You know, we won't ever be able to accuse Jesus of not experiencing earthly dissatisfaction. We can't ever say, God, you don't know what it's like. He does. He lived here once. But the son kept his eyes on the will of the father. We know from scripture, even as a child, Jesus Christ didn't get caught up in earthly distraction. Isn't that incredible? And yet I wonder if any of us, if there's a possibility that any of us could be disappointed when he comes back before we're able to satisfy every earthly, earthly whim. Oh Lord, the game's not over yet. One preacher tells the story of asking his men's group the following question. If you knew this was the last day of your life, if you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow, what would you do differently? One man replied, me? I would spend all of my money just as fast as I could because I knew I couldn't take it with me. 
Another man from the group said, I would tell everyone I knew that Jesus was coming the very next day so that some might be ready. A third man from the group had a slightly different answer. I would go move in with my mother-in-law, he responded. After receiving a few puzzled looks from the other guys of the group, he explained, living with her would easily make it the longest day of my life. I, I, I love my mother-in-law. I hope you do too. There's a joke there. There's a joke there, guys. And she watches these. So it's... But no matter how long we spend the time, up to the minute Christ appears, it should be for us too long in this place. Otherwise, there's a problem. Simply put, we'll have forgotten these promises, these promises of God. We're not jumping for joy the minute we see our Savior come down to us. We'll be more than a little sidetracked. Jesus actually says of these people, again, once believers, once disciples, once Christ followers, watch yourselves. These people will be, verse 34, weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And this is what it looks like to not be ready at the return of Christ. Weighed down with dissipation. What's that word mean? The word dissipation has a couple of different dictionary meanings in the English language, according to Webster's. The first being to scatter in various directions or disperse. The second, probably more relevant for our purposes this morning, meaning to spend or use wastefully or extravagantly, to squander or deplete. Imagine Christians squandering what's given to us. It can, can that happen? Can't be done. I asked a couple of weeks ago from the pulpit, it was similar to this. Is that what you spend your time and money and energy on? A benefit to or a distraction from the return of Jesus Christ. We might think, ah, what's it matter? What's it matter what I do with myself? But according to Jesus, it matters. Three things make you an unprepared Christian for his return here in the text. A dissipation or squandering, drunkenness, the cares of this life. Three things are qualifiers as potential disqualifiers for the kingdom of God, says verse 34. And interestingly enough, all three have to do with being wasteful. Instead of people who act worthy of our calling, we can be Christians who waste. Instead of preparing for Jesus' return, we can be Christians who barely prepare and or may maintain things in this world, right? I found an article uh, entitled, 10 Ways in Which You Can Waste Your Time Being a Christian. It was at churchleaders.com. It sounds terribly anti-Christian, but it's actually not. I'd like to paraphrase some, uh, paraphrase some of these ideas with you this morning, along with some of my own from 10 Ways in Which You Can Waste Your Time. They hit home with me, maybe they will with you. We are people of waste. We are. We are people of waste. And it's not making us very prepared. We waste our time being bitter against those who hurt our feelings. Hebrews 12, 15. Who knows? There may have once been a 10-second exchange in question. We've allowed it to ruin Ruined our day, our, our week, our month, an entire season of our lives, even our Christian walk together. We waste our time in bitterness, don't we? Instead of thankfulness. How else? We waste our resources on ourselves instead of others. We say, I'm going to waste every waking moment looking out for number one. Well, we might not say that, but we do that. Never mind how others could use some of what God gives me 
It's all for me. I earned it. We can also be people who waste our time. We can let our hobbies become our idols. We can waste what God has given us on pursuing uh, that which humankind has pursued. Some of the best-selling secular books spend little to no time with God himself in prayer and study of his word. Get caught up more in Christian culture than we are the word of God. Here's another way we're people of waste. We can know every little Facebook meme, what's trending on Twitter. We can discuss every hot topic, every controversial subject that's circulating media and social media, every headline. We can quote both sides of every argument, conservative and liberal, that grace the screens of our phones. I actually deleted two social media accounts this week. And let me tell you, friends, I breathed a sigh of relief after doing it. That weight's off my back. I don't have to hear that garbage anymore. Less waste. We're people who waste. We contribute our energy, our emotion to arguments about the empires and the philosophies of this world. Meanwhile, Jesus told us last time he was here, his kingdom isn't even of this world. Why is it we know all the sound bites and the political slogans pulled by media sources or made up by politicians somewhere, and yet our Bibles, our very words of God, which are breathed out and profitable, 2 Timothy 3, for our lives in every way, these we barely know. With, Christian, with other Christians, we, we quote feel-good sayings such as, uh, God won't give you more than you can handle, or God works in mysterious ways. Meanwhile, the scriptures don't actually say either one of these things. What a waste. What are we doing? What are we preparing for? Who are we helping? Whose return are we anticipating? We know our schedule of traditions. We know our cliche Christian sayings better than we know Scripture. We've memorized our Christian choruses and every Chris Tomlin hit word for word, and yet we can't recite a single psalm, a single song of David. We waste our time being culture vultures, Christian and secular, without spending time with our Maker how we fail to prepare ourselves for the return of Christ almost every day. We waste our energy getting caught up in in gossip, misrepresenting other people in direct opposition to Titus 3.2. We could be building others up, being known in the church for being encouragers. Instead, we tear other people down. We waste our time being jealous of others. We're not satisfied with the second coming. We're more interested in a second vacation house. If our neighbor has one, we're not ready for kingdom come, no, but we're ready for a new boat or a new barn or a new house or new stereo or gadget or gizmo if it belongs to somebody else. We've got to have that too. We've got to get it too. We've got to waste our valuable resources on it too. Someone we know gets a promotion. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone we wouldn't have a conversation with passing down a crowded street. We waste our time comparing ourselves to them instead of Jesus Christ and letting him drive us onto, uh, not onto worldly pursuits, but onto spiritual preparation for eternity. What a waste. We also waste our time making mistakes. Someone has said, if you're not going to learn from your mistakes, there's no point in making them. Uh, The 20th century theologian uh, Don Adams, also known as Maxwell Smart, once said, everybody makes mistakes, I've probably made one myself. Is this our attitude? We waste our time and our energy uh, harboring anxiety, trying to build the perfect life with the perfect family and the perfect neighborhood, trying to call it the perfect earthly household instead of basing our life's direction on he who is returning very soon to get us out of here. Wasted. 
You know, it's no wonder when a guy is three sheets to the wind, when an individual's intoxicated or drunk on alcohol under the influence of marijuana or drugs, we take a look at them and we say they're wasted. Guy number one says, hey, man, remember the other day when you did such and such? Guy number two says, no, man, I was wasted. And this part of the sermon does have a point, and it is this. Guy number one says, remember back on planet Earth before Jesus came, when you were building up your own kingdom, right before Jesus wiped out everything as we know it? And guy number two says, no, man, I was wasted. Saddest punchline you'll ever hear right there. Are we concerned about not being ready when the sun comes back? What are we doing with what he's given to us right now? God himself was looking right at us, his church. Not unbelievers. His people saying, watch yourselves. Don't get caught up in this place. This is temporary. Don't get sidetracked by what's happening in your world. It's a trap. Jesus knows he's been here. The end of it will come to all of us. What do we do with our time? Here's an idea. Spread the word a little. Tell some other people to be ready for it. You can do it your way. You can do it on your turf. You can do it in that fishing boat. You can do it on that hunting trip. You can do it at your workplace. You can do it. Uh, let those guys from work know what's going on in your life. Let them know that Jesus is coming back someday. Scripture says, you know what? Some of these guys, the one you should probably least expect, will believe you. They'll believe you. Word won't return void. Jesus says nothing will be impossible for you, Matthew 17, 20. But from here to Armageddon, I don't believe we in the church often believe those words. One author writes, Jesus really does mean for us to move mountains. He wants us to live in the bold joy of nothing, that nothing will be impossible for us when it comes to his will. What does Jesus intend for you to do to prepare for his second coming? We just never know what movements might happen because you gave the mountains a little push in faith. Now I'd like to talk a little rock and roll, no pun intended. man by the name of Larry Norman is credited as, quote, father of contemporary Christian rock music. He recorded what's generally upon, uh, agreed upon as the first Christian rock and roll record in the late 1960s. This was a time in which uh, rock music was considered, quote, the devils by many. Still is, I'm sure, in probably some areas. Everybody knows that's hip-hop. No, but Larry Norman argued that the roots of rock music were the gospel blues music of the early 20th century. Therefore, rock and roll belonged to the church, not the devil. Amen! Passionate about that myself. Larry Norman left his Capitol Records side musical group People who had minor success with a cover version of the Zombies B-side, I Love You, to start a solo career in which God, not some hit single, would get the glory for his musical talents. Ironically, Norman's first solo album, Upon This Rock, contained a song which would come to be recognized at the time in the gospel market on its own years before the modern Christian music industry. The song was called, I Wish... We'd all been ready. We played it a little bit ago. In this song, Norman put to music a series of end times images he'd found detailed in the Bible, but never heard played on the radio, never talked about much that time in Christian culture. The song contained the phrase, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. 
Fifty years later, the phrase left behind continued to thrive in popularity in Christian culture as one of the most commercially successful, although depending on your theology, biblically questionable Christian novels of all time. However, even by the 1980s, this song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready, was adopted, adopted like an orphan child by the same church that dismissed Norman's attempts to reach late 1960s youth culture through music. The song actually being placed alongside Ralph Carmichael and Bill Gaither in modern hymnals. I wonder today the souls that were touched because Mr. Norman, like Martin Luther, Isaac Watts, and others hundreds of years before him, looked at his peers and said, there are generations that need to get ready when Jesus returns. God doesn't want anybody to be left behind. Although Norman was an industry outsider for most of his life, he passed away in 2008, nearly half of all churches in the U.S. today classify their worship services as a combination of traditional and contemporary Christian or contemporary praise and worship music. Traditional meaning, the material was written for Isaac Watts' generation, 1690. Contemporary meaning, it was written for Mr. Norman's generation, 1960. Rock and roll belongs to the church. And I mention this story to point out to you that these spirit-filled songwriters, no matter the medium, no matter the, the timber of the song, found a way to communicate messages such as Luke 21, 33 to 36, leading movements of individuals over the last few centuries to stay awake, to watch themselves, to be ready. And if you're a Christian, Jesus intends for you too and me to share those same words of his. The ones that will stay, that will remain regardless of culture, regardless of what's going on around us. That should be our goal. That should be our goal. Jesus says, pray that you may have strength to escape all these things. He says this to Christians because he knows some of us are going to avoid the call to evangelize. We're going to say, eh, my TV show's on. I've got some gossiping to do. I'm not saying all of us are going to move entire generations for Christ's return by, hit, by writing a big song. But if the return of Christ can be a homecoming for just a couple more souls you might know instead of a trap, God wills that no one would perish. The Holy Spirit will work through you right where you are in your neck of the woods. That's a promise. Stay awake, my friends. Be awake. Pay attention to what's going on around you. People everywhere around you, right here in this area, are looking for something new, something eternal. They're at the big chain store. They're at the hardware store. They're at the bank. You know what they're looking for? The news of Christ. They don't know it, but they are awaiting Jesus Christ to come and transform their lives. That's what they need. That's what's missing. I was at the gas station down here at the corner this week. I overheard part of a conversation between a customer and the woman working the counter. The customer, a middle-aged man, was carrying out a six-pack of long-neck bottles, saying he was looking to go that evening where something was happening. Something was going on. He was looking for a hangout spot. His old watering hole, so to speak, had dried up. He was on the hunt for something else. People are thirsty, my friends. Ultimately, it's a thirst for living water. That's what they need. That's what they're craving. 
Joe Sixpack may not always recognize it, but that's actually what he's after. If you know Jesus Christ, you believe what he's promised you, you believe he's coming back again someday for you, how can you help but at least attempt to introduce him to these people? You might say, preacher, I'm not exactly a go-getter in the kingdom. I'm not a big evangelist. I'm not Billy Graham. I, I, what, if I, I, what if I haven't? What if I haven't done that? What if I haven't told enough people or the right people about Christ before he arrives? What if, I, what if I've missed every one of those opportunities to witness? What if I never told that guy, that stranger at the gas station, missed that window of opportunity or that relative about Jesus? What if I'm really not ready at the very end? And this is where I direct you to 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 28 and 29 with me. Here's our assurance in this whole thing. God's going to work through you where you are. But he also promises this. Follow along with me, 1 John 2, 28 29. Text says this, and now little children, again, this is to you and to me, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure you see that word? You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so fellow Christians, you've been born of him, your family. When Jesus comes back to take you home, will you remember that, that slow, speaking of political slogans, you remember that no child left behind? I haven't heard that one for a few years, but this will be the real no child left behind. And that's a promise. If you follow in obedience the one leading the way back home, you'll be ready. Jesus isn't going to lead you here and then leave you hanging. But just like Christmas time at the parsonage, at the rude household, don't dally. These moments are precious. If you're not prepared, he could come back at any time. Shall we say, come Lord Jesus, would you pray with me? Oh God, we, we come to you today and we, we, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for that mercy and grace. Without that, Lord, we, we wouldn't be standing here today. We wouldn't be invited to your table. We wouldn't be able to share in communion with you. Lord, these promises that you've given us, we know they're forever. And Lord, if we've come up out of those waters of baptism and we've become one of your children, we're ready. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, the work, the work is, is uh, uh, not even really begun yet. There are holy acts of love that await us in this place where you've put us. There are other people, Lord, around us everywhere all day that need you. And each one of us, Lord, in some way, with some talent 
can make a big difference in those lives. Lord, help us not to be a church that looks inward, that is just satisfied with the way things are all the time. Lord, help us to be driven by your kingdom. By the fact that you're coming back someday to take us home. and Your will is that, Lord, we'd have a few friends that are coming along for the ride as well. Lord, you made us all. You love us all. Your will is not that any of us would perish. Help us to remember this, Lord, when we're with our families, when we're uh, with our coworkers, when we're with old friends. There's always an, always an opportunity to show them your love and that you're coming back again and we need to be ready. Lord, help us to, 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 to not worry about the work that's been done for us. That you will keep us close to you. But help us, Lord, to also not be lazy. I ask these things in the name of your blessed holy name. Your greatest name. The name in which we find salvation. That name of Jesus. Amen. But there's one more thing that needs said this morning. There's one more point about getting ready. It's this idea of obedience. This idea that, again, I say it every week because we need the reminder. And those among us that uh, are visiting with us need to hear it as well. This is where it begins. This is where we find the fulfillment of those promises given to us in God's word. Where we accept this gift, it happens here. We come up out of those waters of baptism. That's where the journey begins for us as new believers. And this is where the work begins to be cut out for us from here to eternity. If you haven't yet put on Christ, become a Christian, followed him in the death and resurrection, we have an opportunity now for you at the time, at this time of invitation.